Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Still here. Second day. <clears throat> How are we doing? <clears throat> Go to a lot of different places today. <clears throat> Starting to settle in, maybe just a little. <clears throat> so I wanted to uh, talk tonight about transforming suffering into happiness. That's the, uh, that's the title of the talk. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what we're doing here. One way to, to think of what we're doing is transforming suffering into happiness. And I wanted to explain just how that works. Mm-hmm. And to do it a little bit of um, uh, Buddhist teachings to understand. First, uh, to um, understand the in the discourse on mindfulness, there are four foundations of mindfulness. There is mindfulness of the body. What we've been doing so far, our breath, our sensations and sounds and all the physical, the whole physical realm. Mm. There's mindfulness of all the stuff that comes through the mind, our thoughts and emotions. There's another of the foundation, which is a, a list of various ways that we, um, that we can um, be understand how the mind gets caught and how the mind is free. Uh, And there's one foundation, it's actually the second in this list, which is uh, being mindful of the different flavors of experience. In Pali it's called Vedana, V-E-D-A-N-A in English, Vedana. And simply put, every moment has a flavor. It's either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant, neutral. That pretty much covers the territory. Would you agree? Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Not that it's bad if it's unpleasant or good if it's pleasant, but it's just describing that in each moment there is one of those three flavors, what's called feeling tones. It's often translated as mindfulness of feelings, although it can get a little confusing because it's not really about emotion feelings. It's about this feeling tone, this flavor of our experience. And usually, when we're not mindful, our response to those flavors leads to suffering. 
If it's a pleasant moment, guess what we do? Ari had the, just the right movement. We grasp after it. We want it to stay here. We want it to get bigger. How do I keep it going? Have you noticed that if you've had a pleasant meditation? A little voice in the mind says, what do I do? How do I make it happen again? Bring it on. This is called grasping or attachment. Or also there's a whole continuum. It's also uh, spoken of as greed, the mind that wants to possess. If it's an unpleasant moment, what do you think most of us do? Away. Get away. Stop it. How do I get this to stop? I don't like this and um, I've got to figure out some some way to end it. <clears throat> Have you noticed that in your experience when things aren't so much fun? Do you say, oh, bring it on, let's have a little bit more? No. The natural response is, I don't like this, and how do I, how do I stop it? And when it's neutral, the usual response is, we don't notice it. We kind of space out on it, and we are, uh, we're, we're lost. And even more, we forget that experience is just happening without, and sometimes we, another aspect of delusion is that we take ownership of our experience. That's my sadness. That's my anger. That's my love. This is another definition of delusion, and I'll get to that later on. But anyway, first we'll stay with these three, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, grasping aversion or just spacing out confusion. If we're mindful, there's another option. If it's a pleasant moment, it's possible, and maybe you've experienced this for yourself, to really appreciate it, enjoy it, without holding on, because you know that it's not going to last. And so you don't try to grasp after what's changing. Oh, this is this moment, a cool breeze or a, um, a, a, a lovely feeling inside. Oh, how wonderful. But without the, uh-oh, what if it goes? If it's unpleasant, if we're mindful, we, instead of reacting with aversion, somehow find the capacity to open up to it and be with it and learn from it, which is a tremendously empowering thing to do. And maybe you've seen people have reported in the groups that, that, that they've gotten glimpses of that. Oh, when I stop fighting my experience and just let it be here, you know, it's not nearly as bad. Have you noticed that? Anybody noticed that in your experience? Mm -mm. And then when it's a neutral moment, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, um, that can quickly turn into a boring moment if you 
aren't so mindful. But if you are mindful, something very bland and neutral like the breath can be really interesting. Almost anything can become interesting. And instead of spacing out, oh, let's be here for this moment's experience. Those three responses, non-greed or non-grasping, non-aversion or opening to things as they are, and non-delusion are the three roots of happiness. Put more positively, non-greed is both uh, the capacity to let go and also the, the experience of generosity. You probably are quite familiar with how good generosity feels when it's just naturally coming, from, uh, coming out of you. Non-aversion or non-hatred, another way of saying it, is kindness, loving-kindness, friendliness with the moment. And non-delusion, another way of saying that is clarity or wisdom. Oh, I see. And those are the three roots of happiness and well-being. So here we are, right in every moment, we are either developing the roots of suffering, greed, hatred, and delusion, or attachment, aversion, and ignorance, another way of saying it, or we are cultivating the roots of happiness, non-greed, letting go, generosity, non-hatred or kindness, love, friendliness, and non-delusion or clarity, wisdom, right there in each moment. And we're sowing these seeds in a very uh, real, profound way. And I'll give you just a little bit of an exercise to show you how this works. This is not just theoretical. Okay. Um, We'll take two different scenarios. Close your eyes for a moment and um, think of a, um, a time where you acted, for instance, with one of those first three, greed or aversion or confusion. Just pick up some situation in your life where you acted out of one of those three, not so skillfully. Okay, and recall that scenario, what was going on. And now, when you're acting from one of those three, you are planting potent seeds of suffering. Think back to the situation, and when you acted from one of those three, what are called the three poisons, when you acted from one of those three, how did it feel? Whether in that moment or right after you did it, how did it feel inside when you knew you did something that was a little bit off? Hmm. Probably not so good. <laughs> the 
energy that came back to you from whoever was on the receiving end, what was that like? Whereas whoever was on that other end saying, oh, thank you for your feedback? Probably not. Mm -hmm. So that energy that comes back to you is unpleasant, is suffering. The, as you're recalling it right now, that memory, how does that feel inside? Maybe ooh, a little bit uncomfortable. Okay, so that's another source of suffering or unhappiness. And the likelihood that you will do that in the future is greater because you practiced it. And we're all creatures of habit. So you've just um, reinforced that habit of acting unskillfully. Okay, so I'm not going to leave you here. Don't worry. This is just the first, the, the, <laughs> the unpleasant news. Okay. And now take a nice deep breath. Erase the board inside your mind or your heart. And now think of a time where you acted really skillfully, either out of generosity or friendliness, kindness, or wisdom, clarity. Think of a situation. Maybe you were there for a friend or you were uh, just getting in touch with all the good inside. And as you recall that, that situation, how did it feel in the moment that you acted from that place? Probably pretty good. What was the energy that came back to you from whoever was on the receiving end? probably pretty good. Not always, but probably. As you recall it right now and you remember, oh yeah, I did something really nice. How does that feel? Probably pretty good. And the likelihood of you doing it that way in the future is greater because you practiced it. So that's four ways that a skillful act coming out of generosity, kindness, and wisdom is planting powerful seeds of well-being and happiness. Okay, you can open your eyes if you'd like. Both in the, in the moment, in the energy that comes back to you, in the recollection, and the habit that's practiced. Every time you're coming from that generosity, kindness, and wisdom or clarity, you're sowing the seeds in the moment and in the future. Okay. So what I wanted to talk about is how this practice actually is sowing those very powerful seeds that in the moment that you're mindful you are directly cultivating non-grasping at the pleasant, non-aversion with the unpleasant, 
and non-delusion or non-confusion when it's neutral. It's right there, because every moment of mindfulness is a moment where you're not doing those things, not grasping, not pushing away, and not being confused, and also, as we'll see in a little while, not identifying with your experience and seeing, uh, taking ownership as being yours. So I wanted to now look at those three different pairs, uh, both here in the in the cushion on the cushion, and also um, in uh, in our daily life. So the first, greed and non-greed. You've seen for yourself in the moment that that there's a pleasant uh, experience how easily the mind gets contracted and wants to hold on. And this is, this happens all the time on retreat, whether it's a pleasant sit or a really good lunch or dessert. There was chocolate today. (laughs) You notice that? Did you notice the mind say, ooh, chocolate. Mm, How many should I take? Mm. And, um, yeah, could you get up? Yeah, yeah, that's it, thanks. Um, And that's, uh, oh, no, no, no. No, 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 not you. No, I was thinking about that. It's, it's, it's helpful for, for people to just sit up and uh, talk. Yeah, you do it fine. Um, so, there you were, and um, you could see, hmm, I like that, I want that. Or you have ideas, really great ideas, hmm, wow. I can't wait when I get home. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And mm, yeah, and you're lost. You're gone. Or um, you think about somebody in your mind and in your life. Oh, gosh, I wish I was with them now. Have you noticed that when a pleasant thought of a, of a pleasant person comes? Oh, yeah, I want that. Yes. Um, or... Uh, there's somebody here on the retreat. You, maybe you've experienced this phenomenon. Uh, it's called the Vipassana romance. Have you ever <laughs> experienced that? Where haven't spoken a word to somebody, but they just kind of catch your eye, <laughs> and the mind is off to the races. You know, oh. They might be my kind of person. I might be their kind of person. Oh, maybe we'll get together afterwards. Oh, maybe we'll really have a solid relationship. And you can be off into courtship, marriage, children, even divorce. And you haven't said a word to them. You can get obsessed hours and hours once the mind says, oh yes, that would be nice. And the interesting thing when the mind is caught up in greed, in grasping, in wanting, is um, although it's seductive, you can't even really experience the pleasantness of it when you're caught up in that wanting mind. As an example that I 
I uh, mention, I write about it in, uh, in Awakening Joy, um, a, a, pr- a prime uh, um, illustration of this is um, something that happened uh, many years ago when our son, Adam, who is now 31, uh, was on uh, a retreat uh, down in Southern California. He was two and a half. He wasn't sitting the retreat, but he was on the retreat with us. And, um, and one, one afternoon, it was snack time in the, um, for Adam and I. I used to spend the afternoons, some of the, sometime in the afternoon with him. And uh, we were all by ourselves with a, a big bowl of luscious strawberries, his favorite food. Right. And there he was, he was so enthusiastic, shall we say, and just grabbing the strawberries and putting them in his mouth. I wanted him to learn to eat mindfully. <laughs> Naive father that I was. Everybody else was eating mindfully. Why not? You know, get, get the kid off to a good start and uh, and teach him. So so there he was, um, just really stuffing these strawberries in his mouth. And and I said, Adam, just taste the one in your mouth. It's so good. <laughs> He didn't want to hear anything like that. <laughs> oh no! I said, "Come on, just taste it." And he kept on grabbing. And then at one point, I I put the bowl out of his reach. And there's this one moment that's indelible in my my brain. He has a huge strawberry in his mouth, and he's going, "Strawberry!" <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do. <laughs> you don't have to be two and a half. <laughs> There's a good thing going, and then we want just a little more. And, you know, too much of a good thing, and you get indigestion. <laughs> so, this is su- such an interesting thing. I'm not saying, and the Buddha, as far as I understand it, is not saying, don't enjoy the strawberry. No. And I'm, I'm big on being present for those delicious moments. But if you're grasping on to the next ones, and, and uh, then you can't even experience what's here right now. So the real secret is in letting go. This is a movement from the second noble truth, the cause of suffering is wanting, to the third noble truth, the end of suffering is learning to let go. Mm-hmm. There's a, a um, cartoon uh, strip I love. Do you have Calvin and Hobbes here in, yes. in, in Finland? Yeah. So there's this one Calvin and Hobbes strip. Calvin, in the first frame, says, um, Here I am, happy and content. Second frame, but not euphoric. Third frame. So now I'm no longer happy and content. <laughs> I'm unhappy and discontent. My life, my day is ruined. Fourth frame. I should have quit thinking while I was ahead. <laughs> In one moment, a pleasant experience is not quite enough, and then we want a bit more. 
and we destroy that um, uh, that sweetness. So letting go is really the key. Uh, a famous uh, great master, Ajahn Chah, uh, Jack Cornfield's teacher, and uh, Ajahn Sumedho's teacher, and uh, uh, a great great Thai master in uh, the 20th century. He has this teaching. He says, "If you let go a little." you'll have a little freedom. If you let go a lot, you'll have a lot of freedom. If you let go completely, you'll have complete freedom and your troubles with the world will come to an end. This is what we're learning here. Uh, I read that passage yesterday. Happiness happiness does does not come from great effort or willpower, but is already here in relaxation and letting go. Mm-hmm. And the Buddha talked not only about letting go, but about the power of going one step further, the power of generosity. Um, and it's, it's really quite inspiring to see how Naroda runs on generosity, on dana. It's really one of the most unique communities where everything is done on Donna. Um, Gil Franzels in, in, uh, in California is that way too. But um, it's really quite amazing. Here you've got these, these managers and these cooks doing everything, uh, just working so hard to support everyone's practice. And at home, uh, the whole community is run on Donna. Um, there's something very inspiring about it. And when we're coming from that place of generosity, it feels good. Mm. The Buddha, when he would teach to teach lay people, generosity was the first thing that he would teach in the, the ten perfections. Um, even before he taught about meditation and wisdom and patience and morality, generosity is the first thing because it's something that um, we all can we all know the the joy of you know that feeling when you really love sharing with somebody you ever have a have a uh, with somebody and you have an ice cream and it's really good and maybe they're oh no no I'm not gonna have ice cream now but it's so good you say oh you gotta try some not too big a bite, but <laughs> you really got to try it. It's so good because we love to share with people. And generosity is the currency of our caring and our sharing. Uh, I, we have a, um, uh, I have a cup. It's mine left now. It's our cup, but we were given four cups for our wedding, Jane and I, uh, 1982. Three of them have broken, as the old teaching goes. The cup is already broken. Well, three of them are broken, but one of them remains. And I use that cup every day when I'm brushing my teeth. And every day I say hello and give thanks to uh, Roger and Francis. Oh, hi, Roger. Thank you. Think of something in your life, maybe a, a gift that somebody gave you, 
that's at home or a, a piece, of, piece of clothing or some, something that they gave you. Um, and when you use it, isn't it so that you think of them? Now, it's just the currency of our caring. That cup is just a piece of, of ceramic, but there's love that came through it. And it's something to consider that when we're generous, it is a, it's a feeling of connection that we have with, with others. So there's a power in generosity. And for those who are a bit more, uh, a bit better at giving than receiving, I just want to put in a word for the importance and power of receiving as well. Some people, uh, the giving comes naturally, but the receiving and taking in is, um, is, is, is a little bit more challenging. If that's you, um, understand this. The Buddha talks about the power, the karmic impact of, a, of an exchange, a gift, of, uh, gift exchange. There, the power of the karma depends on the purity in the heart of the one giving, the purity of the gift itself, and the purity in the heart of the one receiving. So, if you give somebody a gift and they say, oh, you shouldn't have done that. You ever give somebody a gift and, oh, why did you do that? You didn't have to do that. And you think, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> no, you probably don't think that, but it's just not as fulfilling as if somebody says, oh, thank you so much. Then there's this feeling of connection and completion. So if you um, are, uh, need to practice receiving, um, see it as an act of generosity for the one who is giving you the gift. It increases their karma by you just receiving graciously. And the Buddha also says, while you're in the middle of a generous act, to reflect, this is in one discourse, uh, in the Majjhima Nikaya, number 99, for any scholars, he says, if you're, if you're giving, if you're being generous, think to yourself, oh, I'm being generous now. He says, this is a good thing. And he says, oh, this, this feeling of generosity uh, brings a gladness to the heart. And one, one delights in the meaning and one gains inspiration in the meaning. So, in the middle of that wholesome act, you want to be present for it. I'll talk a little bit about this in a few nights, um, a little bit more. But just to know that in that moment of generosity, there's a good feeling. Don't miss it. And then the, the true, the highest expression of generosity is where your practice is a gift to others or you are uh, expressing your caring and your compassion in some kind of uh, serving and relieving the suffering of others this is uh, this is the full flowering of an awakened heart 
I'll, I'll read to you a, a passage that I love from uh, Nyosho Kempo. He's the guy that I, uh, that I mentioned about your Buddha nature uh, is, is right within you. He says, we're not practicing for ourselves alone since everyone is involved and included in the great scope of this perfectly pure motivation to benefit others. Whatever else we might do is secondary to that. If we cultivate this good heart, this altruistic, unselfish attitude, then all strife and struggle will naturally be pacified, purified, and transformed in us and become beneficial to others through contact with this good heart which we strive to embody. The world needs our caring and when we express it in a wholesome way, uh, we are planting the seeds for great happiness. And in every moment that you're mindful (coughs) of a pleasant moment where you're not grasping, you are cultivating that seed of non-greed, of letting go, of generosity. Aversion and non-aversion, or non-hatred. It's so easy to get into a reaction when we don't like things, whether it's sitting here when you've got a pain in your body, or a painful feeling in the heart, or a painful situation, or the, the heat, or whatever it is. I don't like this. Mm-mm. And when we do, we add on, on top of the, on top of the unpleasant situation, we add on another layer of unpleasantness when the mind gets contracted. <clears throat> There's a phenomenon, uh, the corollary to Vipassana romance, the, the VR, there is something called the Vipassana Vendetta. <laughs> VV for short. Where somebody has been put on this retreat to ruin your retreat. <laughs> Whatever they do, the way they walk, the way they breathe, the way they get their food, the way they move around, they just bug you. Mm. And it can get to be a whole universe in your mind. VV. Unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, and it's just a shift of attitude where you can change your feeling towards somebody. On one retreat, it was my, it was the first um, three-month retreat in Massachusetts at IMS, and uh, one week on this retreat, they used to have, used to sit Zen style around the uh, around the perimeter of the room. It was called Zen Week, and you sat in your own seat that was your seat for that week. And I was so excited, oh, I'm going to do some Zen. And unfortunately, the guy next to me had this major cough. (coughs) 
and it was very unpredictable, intermittent, <laughs> and loud. I'm sitting there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's not you. <laughs> he sat on, uh, with, with, with me for six weeks. He's a very good yogi. <laughs> there it was. And I was going crazy uh, by the by the second day. I think I've got to be a week with this guy. Oh my God! Take some lozenges. Just take some medicine. Do whatever you do, but stop coughing. <laughs> but then I uh, by the by the soon after I, I figured I've got to figure out one way to handle this, and so I devised this little game. Every time he coughed was going to be my checking in to see if I was mindful or not. <laughs> so there we are. Ah, ah, yeah, I'm here. Ah, ah, oh, no, I was gone. Thank you. Come on back. And I had a whole different relationship to, to this guy. And as the week went on, his cough got better. I felt better for him, but I kind of missed my, my checker over there. It's true. Your mind can go anywhere. And uh, besides the, the, the VV and all the stuff outside, there is a subversion to what goes on inside. And the thing is that as you start to be more present, you start to notice all the stuff inside. Have you noticed? <laughs> Probably. This isn't bad news. It's actually great news. Because if you, you're not aware of it, then it's running you subtly, unconsciously. But when you start to, little by little, find the courage to open up and see, oh, there's this too that needs healing. There's this too that needs compassion. Then there's, there's a whole other level of, of, of awakening. There's a, a line I love from uh, Robert Bly, this uh, great American poet and, uh, um, and commenter, a commentator on other poetry. He says, every part of ourselves that we do not learn to embrace will become hostile to us. If we don't like our fear, we become afraid of it. If we don't like our angry, our anger, we become angry with ourselves. But to start seeing, oh, this too is part of being human. Can I really bring some kindness and love to this? That's where the healing is. Can I really see this is just part of being human? And so, part of this process is learning, as Jane was uh, talking about and sharing today, self-compassion, just learning to hold all of those hurt parts inside, because there's a compassion that can do that, that's right within you. And so, and we'll be talking a lot more, I'm sure, about uh, Metta for Self, and uh, how, how key it is. Because the more you can feel your own goodness, the more that everybody can experience it as well. So that's one kind of 
non-hatred or metta-love. Another kind is that we can experience with others. It's a, a mysterious and magical thing how we can feel so connected to others. And in a moment, that connection can turn to grasping or disappointment or frustration when as soon as we have an agenda for somebody then it changes so the near enemy of loving kindness is attachment is having some kind of idea of how somebody should be just as a little exercise again to illustrate this close your eyes and bring someone to mind who's really important to you, who you care a lot about. And first, just wish them well. You might have an image of them and just send them goodwill. Oh, may you be happy. And know that I really love you. And see them happy and just wish them well and notice how how that feels if you see them smiling back oh thank you for those lovely thoughts notice how it feels inside in your mind and in your heart and your body and now for a moment get in touch with when you want something from them or when you don't want them to disappoint you, when you want them to come through, when you have an agenda for them, please don't disappoint me. Notice how that feels in your mind, in your body, in your heart. Again, I won't leave you here. Take a nice breath. And once again, just wish them well. There they are, back again, smiling at you and just sending them some loving thoughts. Oh, I really do love seeing you happy. May you be happy and, and at ease inside. And just... May you know I, I really am wishing you all the best. Notice how that feels. Okay, you can open your eyes. Notice any difference? Just in one moment, that generosity of heart and love can turn to attachment or aversion, and we can get very... Uh, frustrated and angry at the people closest to us happens all the time mm. because we care so much about them but that beautiful feeling of love is quite mysterious where you just wish them well this is the expansion of a heart of a loving heart so there's learning to love ourselves is learning to enjoy the love that we have for others without the grasping. That's why we do the metta each day, the metta practices each day. And then there's another level of 
love that I want to explore with you, and that is uh, around your practice, your spiritual practice. And mostly people who get into Buddhist practice, Buddhist meditation practice, uh, don't hear too much about uh, love for the, for, the, for the practice. But I think it's very important to get in touch with how this is impacting you. And I'll share a story uh, that maybe you can relate to in your, own, in your own life. Many years ago, when I was first with uh, starting to study with that fellow Ramdas, who I mentioned yesterday, uh, uh, that I met at, in 1974, and in 1975, he was uh, giving a little, uh, a small group in New York City, just invited for about 30, 35 people or so. And uh, I felt really drawn to, um, uh, to study with him. But they were all doing Hindu practices, you know, with mala beads and chanting Sri Ram, Jai Ram, and stuff like that. And I was into just the pristine clarity of Buddhist meditation. So I didn't know if this is going to be the right place for me, and neither did he. So we had this little interview to start the, uh, to see if it was appropriate. And uh, part of that interview, he were talking about the difference between Buddhism and, and uh, devotion and like that. And then he said, oh, let me ask you something. Um, you know, this is a devotional kind of a scene, so um, I want to know, um, how do you feel about Jesus? He said, do you love Jesus? And I said, I like Jesus. <laughs> but I know if I love Jesus the way I think you're thinking I should. I love his teachings, but I, I, I don't, in my heart, just love Jesus. And then he said, oh, okay, well, how do you feel about Krishna? Do you love Krishna? <laughs> I said, I like Krishna. <laughs> just the embodiment of celebration, but I don't know if I love him. And then he said, oh, well, how do you feel about God? Do you love God? And I said, you know, Ramdas, um, I was raised Jewish, like he was, actually. And I don't know whether it was some Bible book, when I, children's Bible book, or, uh, but somehow I've, oh, I've thought of God as this very big, powerful man with a beard and a book and a pen <laughs> saying, you're going to have a good day and you're not. And so, actually, instead of the love of God, it actually put the fear of God in me. Um, but when I hear the word God, I translate it in my mind as Dharma, which for me is like the perfection of everything, how it all hangs together and the mystery of everything. And that makes sense to me. And then he said, oh, okay. Well, do you love the Dharma? And that one I said, oh yeah, absolutely. He said, you sure? I said, absolutely. 
It's my whole life. And then he said, well, um, have you ever told the Dharma that you loved it? (laughs) He said, no. He said, well, go ahead. I said, what do you mean? He said, I love you, Dharma. I said, really? (laughs) He said, yeah, yeah. He said, I'll do it with you. (laughs) So I felt like a complete idiot. (laughs) I love you, Dharma. (laughs) And he said, I love you, Dharma. He said, keep on saying it. And we went back and forth. I love you, Dharma. And then about the third or fourth time, I just really felt it. I love you, Dharma. At which point, tears started coming down my face, and he said, oh, there's hope for you yet. (laughs) And I did end up being in in the class. But it was a really powerful moment for me, because I got in touch with how much I love this stuff, how much I love the truth, how much I am excited about waking up and opening my heart and all of that. And it's something that a lot of times people who do this kind of practice um, don't get in touch with, but it's there. All of us. Why else would you spend a week doing this crazy exercise of sitting here, being quiet, and just paying attention? There's got to be some good reason for you to do that. Yeah, there's something in you that you can't ignore that says, I need to do this. I can't even explain to my friends or my family sometimes, but I have to do it. And to get in touch with that love, your love of the truth, or whatever you want to call it, your love of the Dharma, your love of goodness or consciousness or purity of heart, it gives you juice for the whole thing. And so I really um, encourage you to stay in touch with that. So that's the, the love of the Dharma. But even then, there's a further kind of love which leads to the third, uh, the third pair. And that's the love that comes when there's not me and the Dharma or me and other, but there's no separation And it's just love finding itself. The love that comes out of emptiness when the barriers are lifted between us and others. And so I'll go on to that. But I just want to mention that every moment that you are meeting an unpleasant experience with a friendliness and a kind heart, you are cultivating this capacity to love. So now, delusion and non-delusion, or um, wisdom. Mm. As I said, one way to think of, of it is uh, when it's neutral, just kind of spacing out and not being clear. And when you are clear and you're really present then all of a sudden life becomes vivid and everything comes alive. 
and we can see clearly and we can start to understand you probably have gotten some subtle uh, understandings of oh yeah, like I said yesterday about how everything changes oh yes or seeing seeing new parts of, of yourself or parts of yourself in new light so the the one essence of of um, of non-delusion is seeing clearly uh, just being present and not being confused but on a deeper level, non-delusion means seeing clearly certain um, characteristics of existence. And in particular, I touched on them briefly yesterday, three aspects of existence. One, everything is changing. Two, holding on to changing experience is suffering and three you are this changing experience remember when I asked you to shift from being a noun to a verb this is really the non-delusion that leads to freedom and awakening and what your what the Buddha said to notice is how we distort reality, what are called the vipalasas, how most people take what is impermanent, the flow of life, to be permanent. Oh, I finally got it together. You ever have that experience? Wow, I finally got my life together. Yay! Clear sailing from here on in. Good luck. <laughs> or taking what is suffering to be the cause of happiness. That is thinking, oh, if I only get this, I'll be happy. Not realizing that it's the holding on that's causing our suffering. The Buddha was said to, uh, when he became enlightened, at first, he didn't want to teach. He thought, well, this is so cool. You know, I can just, I'm very happy here. What if, what if I tried to teach and people didn't get it? Supposedly, this is how his, his thinking went. And in, in, the, in the discourses, it says, it would be a great vexation to me. That, would me, that means it would be a real drag if... I tried to teach and people just just didn't didn't understand. But then he was encouraged supposedly by Davis to take a look and see the human experience and what he saw was everybody wanting to be happy and doing exactly the things that were leading to more suffering. And that created a real sense of compassion. And then he looked a little further and he saw, oh, there are many people that have, as the words are, are put, just a little dust covering their eyes. And if they can see what I see, they would also know the same freedom. And that was what moved him to teach for the next 45 years of his life. So seeing what 
is really a source of suffering as uh, a source of happiness, ah, this is a distortion of reality. And then the third, taking what is essentially a selfless reality to be this solid sense of self. And so this is where in every moment that you're mindful, you are cutting through this sense of self, of ownership of experience. And also, in the moment you're mindful, you notice impermanence, and you start to see the, um, the futility of grasping on to changing experience. But particularly for the purposes of the meditation, it comes down to not taking ownership of your experience. And so when you have mm, an emotional state of anger, okay, we can easily get into, oh, I am such an angry person. Or look at my anger. And as soon as you add the my to it, you're creating a problem. It's just anger arising in this moment. Just like it's just sadness arising or joy arising. It's all just mind states coming and going. And there's awareness that can see that without taking it personally. As I, I think I said the first night, you know, when you can look at your mind and go, oh gosh, look at my mind. It's really awful. But when you go, wow, look at the mind. When it's the mind and not my mind, then you take the, the personal out of it. And then you're kind of in on the joke instead of the butt of the joke. Oh, look at that. And if you can have a sense of humor about things, I really encourage it highly. Because sense of humor... If you can laugh at this crazy mind, not laugh at yourself and put yourself down, but laugh at this crazy mind, then you're not taking it personally. So I would suggest go for the humor. Mm -hmm. But with whatever is here, just know it's all arising out of this space of awareness. And as soon as you take blame or credit for an experience, you are caught in delusion. As an example that I had in my own experience many years ago, uh, it happened, can happen particularly when you have a really good meditation. You know, hey, that was pretty good. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> You're setting yourself up for a lot of pain. And on this, this one retreat where I was sitting and it was just, it was really, I entered into this really delicious realm where I was, I was sitting for long hours and I had a lot of energy and it was clear and uh, it, it, was, it was extraordinary. Wow. This is amazing, you know. 
And one day, I was sitting, and I had been sitting for, for quite some time, and this yogi comes into the hall, who I respected a lot. And she comes in and sits in front of me. She was sitting just off to the side of me. And, and those, when I would have the, when I'd sit a long time, I'd ha- have my eyes open just to kind of stay grounded. And so there she was, she sat down, and after about mm, 10 minutes, there she was nodding off, going like this, mm, like that. And here I was just kind of cruising. And I, in a moment, I realized the countless hours that I'd been like this and that it could very easily be me tomorrow, right? But as soon as I realized this, I didn't have any idea how I landed where I was. It just happened. And the thought of me taking credit for it was completely absurd. It was crazy. I don't know how that happened. And when I had that that thought, in a moment, the whole room kind of did this kaleidoscopic shift. And instead of me and her and this one and this one, it was just energies manifesting. And here was some energy and clarity and here was sloth and torpor and here was compassion and here was confusion and here was uh, peace and we could all be switching around in another day and it was a really powerful moment in my practice because really from that time on it cut through this idea of taking credit for the good moments and taking blame for the unpleasant ones. It's just happening on its own. And it's so freeing when you get, I don't have to blame myself for whatever is coming through this mind and I don't have to take credit for whatever is coming through as well. It's just all happening and all I need to do is show up with a sincere heart and uh, a kind awareness. That's what leads to deep freedom. And so um, I encourage you as we are going through this process, whatever your experience is, don't take ownership of it. It's just happening all its own. It's all either just habits of mind, if those are the thoughts that come through, or else uh, just mind states or energies that are coming through. You don't have to blame yourself for them or take credit. If you're troubled by what comes through, here's a simple little um, uh, instruction that Joseph Goldstein has given that I really love. If you're bothered by the thoughts that are coming through your mind, Just imagine they're coming from the person behind you. (laughs) It works. You didn't invite those thoughts in. Did you say, I could go for a little self-doubt right now? No. 
Oh yes, I could go for some lust. Yeah, that's just what I need. No, thank you. You know, it's just all coming and going on its own, and that's where the freedom is. And this is where you see it's not you doing anything. It's just awareness, awareing. You can't even take ownership of the awareness. So I'll just close with this little. Uh, poem that I love that points to this. This is uh, by my favorite poet, Dana Falls. She says, Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward. Just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. So let's sit for a moment. Just know that every moment that you're mindful, you are cultivating generosity, kindness, and wisdom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.